This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. The Elizabethan era draws to a close. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest-serving monarch, passed away peacefully at Balmoral Castle in Aberdeenshire on Thursday, the 8th of September, 2022, after 70 years on the throne. Her Majesty the Queen made an unparalleled contribution to our nation and the world. The consensus she embodied helped shape the Britain that we live in today. But what did she mean to her Jewish subjects? Will the nation's temperature change? Is the end of the Elizabethan age a symbol of the end of the post-World War II settlement? Will King Charles live up to his role? And where does Israel fit into this? There were 96 gun salutes in honour of the Queen right across the home nations. Even the most grudging of Republicans find a loophole in their belief system to make an exception for the Queen. What she and the institution of the monarchy means to Britain's Jews is quite immeasurable. In my own family alone, where my Galician-born Viennese grandfather, Benno Pisana, who arrived as a refugee from Nazi tyranny in April 1939 as a 35-year-old, was moved enough to choose Winston as his son's middle name. My Uncle Peter. Grandpa Benno's typewriter business on Litchfield Road in Aston in Birmingham was called Britannia Typewriters. My grandma, who arrived six months before her husband in September 1938, was a perpetual student of the English language, an Anglophile, and with pride and certainty was very proud to be British, in her pronounced Viennese accent. The British system of governance may have mostly been the product of evolution, with a hint of revolution, but it's something that most Jewish subjects wish to protect and uphold. A head of state who sits above politics, who we project upon our greatest hopes, indeed bestow our most heartfelt prayers to every week. And in seven decades on the throne, her sure-footedness in duty never once let us down. And it might just be a two-way street, as Israel's current president, Isaac Herzog, revealed to us during his state visit to the UK in November 2021. He recalls when his father, Chaim, President of Israel for a decade until 1993, met Her Majesty. My father went to meet Her Majesty the Queen in Buckingham Palace for lunch. When he met the Queen, the Queen told him, you know, we are, in our annals, we believe we are descendants of King David. Now, my family lineage, without too much ego, has a lineage that goes all the way back to King David as well. So my father said to the, Her Majesty, welcome to our family. And that's why we feel so much at home in this country. The House of Lords has staged tributes to the Queen, quoting in Hebrew. 
lords wearing yamalkis. British Jewry, once instinctively a community which kept its head down, no longer. Lord David Wilson of Tredegar delivered a Devar Torah as much as a tribute on the etymology of the word mitzvah. My lords, I begin uh, in accordance with the custom of my religious tradition with an acknowledgement that as mortal humans we submit to God's decree and that from his judgment, whether that be for life or for death, uh, there is no appeal. Baruch Dayan Ha'emet, blessed be the judge of truth. And as I say that blessing, I am taken to the last time I met Her Majesty and I recited a different and special blessing, the blessing our rabbis prescribed to be said when meeting royalty. Baruch Shinatan Michvodor Lebasavadam. Blessed is he who has shared his glory with mortals of flesh and blood. And my lords, the idea in that blessing is not the divine right of kings. It is not the absolutist notion that because monarchs derive their power from God, they cannot be held accountable for their actions. The blessing embodies a totally different idea, but it's a powerful one. It's the idea, as the Talmud puts it, that royalty on earth is to reflect royalty in heaven, that to be royal requires the highest standards and impeccable behaviour. And it's an idea, I suggest, that Her Late Majesty exemplified throughout her long reign. Noble Lords might be familiar with the Hebrew word mitzvah. Well done for doing this or that, you might hear somebody say, and then they'll add, you've done a mitzvah. You've done a good deed. But my Lords, a mitzvah is not a good deed which you do because you're in the mood or because the urge takes you. A mitzvah isn't something you do only and if you feel like it. The Hebrew root of the word mitzvah, its basic etymology, is the word sav. And sav means commandment or order or duty. You do a mitzvah not just because it's a good deed and not just because you feel like doing it. You do a mitzvah because it's your duty. Her late majesty spent her whole life doing the right thing and not just because she felt like it or because the mood took her she spent her 96 years doing the right thing day in and day out out of a sense of duty it was a life if i may respectfully say of mitzvah of acting out of a profound sense of personal duty and under the solemn oath to god which she took at her coronation. Now in Hebrew, every letter also has a numerical value. And you can add up the values of individual letters to get the value of a word. And in one of those coincidences, which perhaps are not, the value, the numerical value of the Hebrew word sav, the root of the word mitzvah, is 96. 96 years of tzav, of duty, and also of mitzvah, of doing the right thing, because that is your duty. 
My Lords, tomorrow is Shabbat, and as we've heard from my noble friend Lord Pollock, in synagogues up and down the country, we will say the prayer for the royal family as we do each and every week. We recite that prayer immediately after the reading of the Torah, the five books of the Pentateuch from Genesis to Deuteronomy, which we read in weekly installments throughout the year. We're well into Deuteronomy at the moment, and so the current annual cycle is nearly complete. But on the day that we finish Deuteronomy, we do something odd but important. We return to the Holy Ark, the scroll with which we completed Deuteronomy, but we immediately take out a new scroll and start reading again from the first chapter of Genesis. So on that day, the death of Moses, the faithful leader who had guided the people over so many decades, is immediately followed a matter of moments later by a new start, indeed a new creation, in the first chapter of Genesis. And so tomorrow, for the first time in my life, we will not pray in synagogue for Prince Charles, but for King Charles. I started yesterday as a Queen's Council, and I finished it as a King's Council. We've closed one book, a long and good book, which we've had with us for so many years, and we are about to open another. And as we all pray that God save our King, I will also pray that he too may enjoy a reign of mitzvah, of doing the right thing, for that now is his duty. Baruch Dayan Haemet, Yehezichra Baruch, blessed be the judge of truth, and may her late majesty's cherished memory be a blessing for all of us. Are you playing catch-up with Johnny Gould's Jewish State? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests. How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. I mean, there, isn't a, there isn't a fertility rate problem in, in Israel. Um, for instance, as there, there is in, in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's, uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that, to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash Johnny Gould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould.
Lord Stuart Pollock of Hartsmere invoked the memory of Rabbi Lord Sachs and reminded all that the prayer for the royal family is a mainstay of the Shabbat morning service throughout the synagogues of Britain and the Commonwealth. On an occasion like today, I, I think if I speak on behalf of the whole house, I think we miss the late Lord Sachs, who would have known exactly what to say. Uh, on hearing the passing of someone, the Jewish tradition is Baruch Dayan Emet, which means blessed is the true judge. You know, as an early, in my earliest memories of going to synagogue on a Saturday morning, there was always one prayer that was said in English, only one, and that prayer will be said tomorrow and I, in, in, in synagogues all up and down the country. It reads like this, and I'll read it as it was done last week, the short. He who giveth salvation unto kings and dominion unto princes, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and may he bless our sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth, and all the royal family. And it goes, may the supreme king of kings in his mercy preserve the queen in life, guard her, and deliver her from all trouble and sorrow. My lords, in synagogues up and down the country tomorrow, we will say it as usual for His Majesty King Charles. Now, uh, I've been listening to so many personal stories and how Her Majesty touched the lives of, of so many, e even just for that fleeting moment, and that would forever be etched on the memory of those people. In 1971, at Royal Ascot, my mother and my late grandmother were there. Now, my grandmother at the time thought she was part of the royal family, but we, we didn't tell her that she wasn't. <laughs> On the way back from the paddock to the enclosure, my, my grandma, Leah, touched the back of the Queen Mother and said, Mom, you look beautiful. Now, as the heavies suddenly came round to where my mum, who was deeply embarrassed, was, the Queen Mother said, hang on, and she turned to my grandmother and said, and if I may say, you look beautiful too. At which point, the two embarrassed daughters, at the same moment, Her Majesty the Queen and my mother turned round, oh, mummy. So they both did. But this moment, this ten-second encounter, stayed with my late grandmother her whole life and to my mother to this day. So the tributes to Her Majesty have, have all been magnificent, but I did particularly carefully listen to uh, Sir John Major, former Prime Minister's tribute, which included the line, my lords, there was almost no part of the world she had not visited. Uh, Sir John was right, my, my lords... I will concentrate for a moment on the word almost. See, on the 22nd of June 2016, the night before the EU referendum, I was at a small dinner in, uh, and raising a little bit of money for Gordonston um, at the home of the Princess Royal. Few people. And so I left to leave and I said to the headmaster that I was very happy to come up to the school and speak to the students about politics. And Princess Anne turned round and said, I think they'd be more interested in your previous work. We had a conversation and we discussed how the royal family were prohibited from visiting Israel by the Foreign Office. And we agreed 
that as someone who was deeply religious and God-fearing, it was sad, it is sad, that she never walked down the Via Della Rosso into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. She never walked and visited the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem or experienced the peace and tranquility on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I Lord, at a Jewish funeral, Psalm 116 is often recited, and it ends, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, bliss forevermore. Yehi zichra baruch. May Her Majesty's memory be for a blessing. But there were some more light-hearted recollections of the Queen from our leading politicians. Is there a country more wed to the pomp, ceremony and traditions of its constitutional monarchy and parliament? I doubt it very much. Former Minister Grant Shapps told the Commons how the Queen had saved him from feeling embarrassed during his Privy Council swearing-in ceremony. But if there's one group of people who'd instinctively appreciate the need for tradition, it's got to be us Jews, right? Take the Mace, for example. A couple of Labour MPs did just that, so shamefully over the years. Labour firebrand Ron Brown famously smashed the mace, throwing it to the floor, and he was suspended. And fellow hard leftist Lloyd Russell Moyle picked it up in 2018 and was kicked out for the rest of the session. It's an intriguing presence in both houses. It's the very symbol of royal authority. Without it, neither house can meet or pass laws. The Commons mace is about five feet long, dating from Charles II's reign. It's carried to the chamber at the head of the Speaker's procession by the Sergeant-at-Arms and placed on the table of the House. The Lords uses two maces, one dating from the time of Charles II, another from William III. The mace is absent from the Lords during the state opening because the monarch is there. I say all this because the mace is rather reminiscent of the mezuzah on our doorposts with all its kingly powers. During the ancient and complex process of becoming a privy councillor at Buckingham Palace, Mr Shapp said he didn't understand the meaning of the phrase brush her hand as part of the ceremonial oath-taking. Mr Speaker, like many in this House, I had the opportunity to both meet and speak to the Queen on numerous different occasions, but unfortunately the relationship didn't start particularly auspiciously. I was invited to Buckingham Palace for what other members will know is an ancient and complex process of becoming a Privy Councillor, so complicated that I was called to a side room with five colleagues to have the process explained. It seemed that we would enter into a large hall in Buckingham Palace, Her Majesty would stand at one end and we were told we would kneel on red cushions, going back some distance on our right knees, holding a Bible in our right hands, then we would switch that to our left hands, then take the Sovereign's hand with our right hand and brush her hand and then stand and say, Your Majesty, brush her hand. Was that an instruction to brush her hand? with my hand or my sleeve or a handkerchief and as about I was to ask we were called in to the actual performance of the uh, great ceremony itself. 
No matter, I thought. I was fifth in the line to become a Privy Councillor. I would watch my colleagues, each of whom were swearing on the New Testament. I'm Jewish, I was swearing on the Old Testament. I was at the back of this line, I would watch what was happening. Unfortunately, as we went into this very large hallway, it was so long that I couldn't see what was happening, the ceremony at the front. And as I got closer, the field of view narrowed and the girth of my colleague in front of me widened. (laughs) And I still couldn't see uh, what brushing the hand actually entailed. And now, with palpitations and nervously, I knelt in front of Her Majesty the Queen on the red cushion right before her. I switched the Bible, the Pentateuch, from the right to the left hand, stretched out my right hand. She stretched out her bare, ungloved right hand and, to my surprise, moved it towards my face. It moved towards my lips. I pursed my lips. It stuck. And then, in what felt like an age, she was trying to pull it away, and then suddenly, (laughs) her hand pulled away. I wanted the ground beneath me in Buckingham Palace to swallow me whole, but I remembered to stand up. Your Majesty, I quavered. She looked me right in the eyes with those wonderful, sparkling eyes, and as if both to acknowledge what had happened and also to forgive me in one turn. She said, yes. (laughs) Mr. Speaker, we never spoke of it again. God save the king. The queen visited over 130 countries during her long reign, but never Israel. King Charles has been, but they weren't part of state visits, classed instead as personal visits, the attendance of funerals and such. The palace assiduously made the point each time that those visits by Charles and his father, the Duke of Edinburgh, weren't official. Prince Philip visited Israel in memory of his mother, Princess Alice. More on that later. The Queen often visited Arab dictatorships, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Oman, Jordan, Egypt and Qatar, countries marred by human rights abuses and corrupt justice systems, Russia, China, Pakistan too. But the new Prince of Wales and heir to the throne, Prince William, broke that by officially visiting Israel in June 2018. He visited the Kotel, the Western Wall, he put a yarmulke on and he prayed. A totally unwarranted fear that a visit by a royal would hurt business interests in Arab countries. But maybe the refusal to visit Israel until William included a whiff of delegitimization. To set foot there would be far too symbolic. Jonathan Sachadotti is the Jewish Chronicle's special correspondent and additionally a royal reporter to major networks around the world, including Fox News and here on I-24 News. Most nations of the world, certainly very many in the Middle East, including dictatorships, and yet she never did visit Israel, which is notable, especially for the Jewish community. Uh, They say that that was not down to her personal preference, but down to the Foreign Office, uh, which dictates where the the monarch should go and visit, and that traditionally and historically they didn't think it would be a good idea because it might anger Israel's Arab neighbours who were allies of the United Kingdom. Of course, things have changed quite a lot in recent years and decades, but 
still, we never saw that visit uh, coming, even though there were, of course, people trying to push for it in the past. Lord Pollack spoke about it in the House of Lords just yesterday when he was remembering Her Majesty the Queen and how Prince Anne had once said to him that it was something that the royal family would be willing to do. Uh, but of course, that never came about. We did see Prince William uh, conducting the first official royal visit to Israel uh, just a few years ago. Of course, we covered it here on I-24 News. And we have seen Prince Charles uh, go there, not necessarily on official state visits, but also right. for other reasons like uh, funerals. And, and, and also, uh, there is, of course, a royal uh, family member buried in Israel. And she is known as uh, having helped Jews to survive during the war and is one of the righteous among the nations. So maybe we will see King Charles III at some point making an official visit to Israel. We'll have to wait and see if that's on the agenda sometime down the line. Jonathan is referring to the new Prince of Wales, Prince William's great-grandmother, the Duke of Edinburgh's mother, Princess Alice of Battenberg, who sheltered a Jewish family, Rachel Cohen and her children, in her Athens palace during the Holocaust. The Cohen stayed with Princess Alice until liberation from the Nazis. There were times when the Germans became suspicious and the princess was even interviewed by the Gestapo. But using her deafness from birth, she pretended not to understand their questions until they left her alone. In 1993, Yad Vashem, Israel's National Holocaust Museum, conferred the title of Righteous Among the Nations upon her. Princess Alice died in London in 1969, but 19 years later, her coffin was transferred to the crypt in Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Alongside hundreds of thousands of ordinary British people, Her Majesty played her part during the Second World War too. This influenced her heartfelt respect and understanding of the experience that so many lived through, risked and gave their lives for. Her Majesty was proud of the role Britain played alongside the Allies in defeating Nazism and liberating the concentration camps of Europe. The Chief Rabbi, Ephraim Mervis, said, The Queen embodied the most noble values of British society. In an ever-changing world, she was a rock of stability and a champion of timeless values. Throughout her extraordinary reign, she conducted herself with grace, dignity and humility and was a global role model for distinguished leadership and selfless devotion to society. In an ever-changing world, she was a rock of stability and a champion of timeless values. Every week in synagogue, we have prayed for her welfare, well-being and wisdom, and she never let us down. We recall with much appreciation the warm relationship she had with the Jewish community, with a particular commitment to interfaith relations and Holocaust memorial. I recall how, on one occasion, she showed me and my wife items of Jewish interest and value in her private collection in Windsor Castle, including a Torah scroll rescued from Czechoslovakia during the Holocaust. Her affection for the Jewish people ran deep, and her respect for our values was palpable. In life, she was rightly admired and loved the world over. In death, may her memory and legacy be for an everlasting blessing. And I've been taking the nation's temperature all week on my national talk TV show, sombre in tone but happy in the lifetime of memories of the Elizabethan era, including my very own. I saw the Queen about two years ago in a Rolls-Royce in central London with my little daughter, and... 
we saw the car coming. We saw the entourage of Range Rovers with their blue lights on. Oh, it's the Queen! It's the Queen! And as she raced past up Gooch Street, she was looking down probably at the racing post or, or some of her uh, sort of daily papers or whatever, but it was definitely the Queen we saw, and it was lovely to have at least seen her in her car go past us. Prince Philip I, I met. Um, he turned up at the MCC. They opened up a cricket school many years ago. His job was to pull the curtain open on a little consecration stone, and everyone was milling there with a little champagne and prosecco. And uh, he walked in with his hands behind his back in that excellent upright Prince Philip kind of way, with a lovely uh, pinstripe suit, tall and elegant and thin, and with the sort of very very slid back hair as well. Looked exceptional. He might have been in his early nineties, certainly a man of old age but certainly sprightly as he always was into his later life and uh, people didn't really s stay quiet they were still milling around and talking and i thought this is a bit disrespectful i know we've got to wait for the dignitaries and he's going to pull the curtain open and it's going to say hrh uh, prince philip opened this cricket school in 2008 or whatever it was and i thought right i'm going to just walk over this because i can't really see i'm going to walk up the atrium uh, flight of stairs the spiral staircase and stand on them and um, uh, you know toast the uh, prince when he does the job and he was waiting around there and uh, I just lifted my champagne flute to him and said thank you sir, uh, nice to see you sir, he looked back at me, caught my eye and went like that, he winked, what a geezer and from that moment on he became approximately my favourite royal, God bless you sir and rest in peace alongside your dear wife and queen Messages of condolence have been filed to Johnny Gould's Jewish state from the President of the Board of Deputies of British Jews, Murray van der Zyl, and the National Jewish Assembly's Chairman, Gary Mond. The National Jewish Assembly has been truly saddened at the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Politicians come and go, but there was something permanent about the commitment, dedication to duty, and responsibility for us as her subjects of Her Majesty. As Jews, we were especially grateful for the interest that she showed in our religion, our traditions, and in us as contributors to the well-being of the nation. In all that she did, her role demonstrated an unbreakable bond to the very fabric of our country and the Commonwealth. Her death is tantamount to a huge rock being removed from our foundations, and many of us feel unable to cope and that we will not recover. Nevertheless, we wish King Charles III every success in his reign and have every confidence that he will protect the Queen's legacy and enhance further the reputation of the monarchy. God save the King. The Board of Deputies mourns the loss of our beloved Queen with the rest of the nation and also wishes every good luck to His Majesty King Charles III. The Board of Deputies has always had a very special relationship with the monarchy. This goes right back to 1760. Members of the Spanish and Portuguese community deputies came to pay homage to King George III upon his accession to the throne. Since that time, the board has been very privileged to have a continuing relationship with the monarchy and to be able to have meetings from time to time. This includes the wonderful event arranged by King Charles III for the Jewish community at Buckingham Palace in 2019. 
We will all miss the remarkable leadership shown by the Queen, but we know that Charles III will continue and to enhance this legacy. Long may he reign. Some are saying this is a moment of danger, the passing of the era of the post-World War II settlement. Russia is in Ukraine. China has all but subsumed Hong Kong and looks covetously at Taiwan, not to mention America's retreat from the UN and China's aggressive attempts to take it over. Indeed, you have to be well over 70 years old to remember any other monarch on the throne. But the new king, Charles III, moved quickly to present himself as a continuity monarch. He automatically became king in Balmoral Castle that fateful afternoon. But the Accession Council of Privy Councillors formally proclaimed him king 48 hours later at St James's Palace in London. We, therefore, do now hereby, with one voice and consent of tongue and heart, publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now, by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, become our only lawful and rightful liege lord, Charles III. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, it is my most sorrowful duty to announce to you the death of my beloved mother, the Queen. I know how deeply you, the entire nation, and I think I may say the whole world, sympathise with me in the irreparable loss we've all suffered. My mother gave an example of lifelong love and of selfless service. My mother's reign was unequalled in its duration, its dedication and its devotion. Even as we grieve, we give thanks for this most faithful life. I am deeply aware of this great inheritance and of the duties and heavy responsibilities of sovereignty which have now passed to me. In taking up these responsibilities, I shall strive to follow the inspiring example I have been set in upholding constitutional government and to seek the peace, harmony and prosperity of the peoples of these islands and of the Commonwealth realms and territories throughout the world. And in carrying out the heavy task that has been laid upon me and to which I now dedicate what remains to me of my life, I pray for the guidance and help of Almighty God. I understand that the law requires that I should at my accession to the Crown, take and subscribe the oath relating to the security of the Church of Scotland. I am ready to do so at this first opportunity. I, Charles III, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of my other realms and territories, King defender of the faith, do faithfully promise and swear that I shall inviolably maintain and preserve the settlement of the true Protestant religion as established by the laws made in Scotland in prosecution of the claim of right 
and particularly by an act intituled an act for securing the Protestant religion and Presbyterian church government and by the acts passed in the parliament of both kingdoms for union of the two kingdoms together with the government, worship, discipline, rights and privileges of the Church of Scotland. So help me God. If this is the first episode of Johnny Gould's Jewish State you've heard, a warm welcome. I set my stall out right from the start in 2018 to be as ambitious as I could. The best guests and their most heartfelt views, a relay of their missions to a worldwide audience. 100 episodes along, and I'm proud that it's fast become the podcast of record. This is coverage of the Jewish and Israeli worlds that just don't get properly aired in mass media. I'm not ashamed to ask for your help. A one-off donation is always gratefully received, but a monthly donation really gets our service off the ground. Your donation can also be made with full gift aid. It's so easy to do, so just click on www.donorbox.org slash jgpodcast. That's donorbox.org slash jgpodcast. Are you in? Please share my series with your friends and thank you for listening. God save the king. God save the king.